allow me to open by saying that this might actually be my favorite Pokemon game thus far. It's certainly reviewed the best, and in fact, if not for the fact that it has several Pokemon points, it would have been reviewing even higher. To explain what I mean by that, quite a few Pokemon games have points, since we've reviewed several uh, of them at this point in time, that it's just consistent throughout the series, and so... You know, they, they keep getting a point, whether it's a positive or a negative. And most of those are negative. Because, <laughs> yeah, archaic game design. But ignoring that, there's still something far more enjoyable about this one. And I was struggling to put my finger on it. From a purely gameplay perspective, I theorize, but I don't actually know, that the fact that they decided to nuke the old gens until post-game and thus start you with entirely new Pokemon, allowed them to design them better. You know, actually sit down... I've talked about this before, you know, it feels like actual effort and work was put into... <sighs> this sounds so dismissive. Obviously, work and effort is put into the different Pokemon, how they balance with each other, which moves they get at which levels, what what abilities they have, what types they have, their EVs, their IVs, etc. All of that's duh, right? Obviously, they've been doing that at very least since Gen 2. But it feels like they really put in the extra mile on this one. Because not only was the game actually legitimately interesting and fun to play, but it was probably one of the most challenging experiences I've had in a good way. Like several, especially when you get towards the end, when you start having the extra, the, the super high AI, whatever it's called, uh, when you fight the, the real difficult bosses, those were legitimately awesome fights against legitimately awesomely crafted encounters. And most of the gyms have decent design to them. Like, you could tell that actual thought was put into their Pokemon, their moves, their abilities, and how they use them, as well as the dungeons leading up to them and which kind of Pokemon you have access prior to that. Because, I mean, this is just RPG design, right? You design a boss, but you don't just design a boss in a vacuum. You design a boss for the dungeon for the point in the game it's at, knowing the relative equipment and magic and spell and, and uh, like special abilities or party members or rough levels that the party will have at that point in time. You as the designer have access to all that information to design the boss with. It takes some time and some effort, but you can do it. It feels like they did that here. I, re I know I'm rehashing this point, but I really want to make this clear because this is probably my favorite part about this game. I felt engaged in the combat. And that's what I tend to like about these type of games. I mean, it's fun to min-max, and it's fun to, you know, pick your favorites, but there's a reason why for years and years, even when reviewing these games, I still tend to do challenge modes. Because otherwise, I tend to not be challenged, right? So, <laughs> it was nice. It was nice, and it was enjoyable. But it reminds me of something else, because I fear that we won't see this kind of thing again, at least not anytime soon. Uh, for the historical pr uh, perspective, this video was recorded long before the Gen 4 remake or Legends Arceus is coming out. That's like a year to a year and a half from now, right? But I feel like we're not going to have this type of thing before. Especially Sword and Shield. Don't mistake me. I actually like Sword and Shield. But it is an exceptionally flawed game that I enjoy. It, it's a lot of positives and a lot of negatives kind of situations. There's a lot of things I like about it. There's a lot of things I don't like about it. And so it just kind of averages out to be okay in the end. Unlike that, this just averaged out to be much better. Because, here, let me let me get to my point. How many of you played World of Warcraft? In World of Warcraft, there's an expansion called Cataclysm. Now, I love Cataclysm. It's among my favorite expansions. But 
to be to be as blunt about this as I can, this is purely my opinion, of course. Cataclysm is when WoW actually became a good game. Not on the story axis. They they'd kind of figured out the story stuff inside of Wrath. And there was several and you could see good design elements prior to Cata, obviously. But WoW Cataclysm is when WoW overall fixed most of its overall underlying problems and really put effort into designing the way that the zones worked, designing the way that the quests worked, designing the flow of interaction, designing the nature of how you were supposed to progress, whether as a new character or as a uh, as a pre-existing character. Now, Cata had its issues. Remember the Cata Dungeons and Launch, but I'm getting off topic. The point is, it felt like a really huge step upwards in terms of design, and people hated it. People whined and ranted and complained, and you can see how this is related to Pokemon Black and White. Again, I feel like this is directly relevant because I theorize that the of the old Pokemon and allowing the new ones only in the pregame is part of what allowed them to design it as well as they did. I don't actually know if that's true. But, God, it made it a lot of fun to play through. Someone else in chat also mentioned another example. This is a perfect example to keep things on brand. Zelda Majora's Mask and Zelda Wind Waker, both of which are games that were not particularly well-loved when they came out and nowadays are considered some of the beloved classics. Then that's also related to this game, because, uh, unlike the WoW example, most people I talk to tend to prefer this. I'm actually curious of your thoughts if you're watching this particular video. Does this list as the highest or among the highest of your personal favorites when it comes to Pokemon games? Because most people I talk to list this one. Every time we streamed a Pokemon game from uh, going as far back as, uh, I guess, Sun and Moon was actually the first one we streamed... <laughs> I know that sounds like a weird place to start, but we went with Sun and Moon, and then we backtracked to X and Y, and then we did Heart and Gold and Silver, and we did Let's Go, and we did a bit of Gen 3 thing, and then... Anyways, point being, every time we stream Pokemon, this comes up. What's your favorite Pokemon game? And invariably, the answer is Black and White or Black and White 2. And I feel like there's some of that reevaluation thing going on. It's either that or the people who complain are actually in the minority, and we just hear them the most. I don't know. I, I don't actually have factoids on this one. I will say this, locking out, locking you out of old Pokemon and then completely unlocking the old Pokemon and having a meaty enough post-game so that the old Pokemon are worth something in, in that is probably one of the better ways to do this. It's not the best way. I've already listed my personal theory on how they should do that when we uh, were streaming Pokemon Sword and Shield. Brief review for anybody who never saw that. I personally think they should stop introducing new Pokemon, except for maybe starters and legendaries. So like, you know, nine, ten-ish new Pokemon per game. And then have new Pokemon mutators, like the Mega Forms, or uh, uh, regional forms, like the Alolan Forms or the Galar Forms. Or make it so that they have new evolutions, which is technically not really new Pokemon. Or make it so that they have cross-evolutions, so that they have another new type that they can turn into. Thus, keeping the old roster and limiting the amount of new Pokemon, because, let's be honest, at some point they're going to have to stop introducing new Pokemon. I mean, we've already got an ice cream Pokemon. We've, we've kind of hit the barrier on that. <clears throat> and that way we can keep the olds, and we can have some news, and things can still be mixed up, right? And if nothing else, this format works. The You know, the, the pre-game, new, post-game, old format. But again, this format only works if the post-game is meaty enough for that to be supported. If you, Because otherwise we have the Final Fantasy VII problem. 
some of you may not remember this, but in Final Fantasy VII, uh, there's a system called Materia, which has some really cool stuff we can do, you can do with it. There's all sorts of fun and fancy little uh, combos and tricks and just cool stuff. It's just fun to play with, right? Well, no, it isn't, because actually most of that stuff you get very, very late into the game, and there's no New Game Plus in Final Fantasy VII, which means you never get to play with it. You get the cool stuff at the very end of the game. This is why a post-game that has sufficient content is mandatory, because otherwise you get the cool stuff, in this case the old Pokemon, at the end of the game, and then it's meaningless. There's, there's nothing there, right? Now, of course, the other alternative here, and the other way to make this work, is add a form of New Game Plus. Now, this is something I haven't talked about before. Anybody who knows me knows I'm very in favor of New Game Plus. I am super pro New Game Plus. But one of the thoughts I had while I was playing this game is, what if they made a New Game Plus where... You know, you hit New Game Plus, and you can carry forward your Pokemon, and you can reset their levels. What I mean by that is, imagine you could carry forward your bank, of however many Pokemon you have banked there, and there's a toggle that allows you to reset them back to level 1. So you can keep your old Pokemon, the ones from previous generations, that you caught in the post-game, and then carry them forward and play through the game in a new game with them. This would also enable you to try out different uh, different combos, do different challenges. This could be beneficial for Nuzlocke runs, etc. Just food for thought, something that occurred to me. I suppose we'll go ahead and talk about the story. This is probably one of the most plot-focused uh, Pokemon games. Not necessarily the highest story overall, but definitely the biggest plot focus. If I ever needed to prove how plot-focused this game is, all I have to do is point out how... Almost every single time you move forward a step in the story, in the narrative, the plot jumps in to be like, hey, and effectively, you know, takes takes the focus away from whatever you're doing, usually going after the gym challenges, and focusing on the plot for a bit before allowing you to go back to the gym challenges and the plot and the gym. Now, this is not exactly the first time Pokemon games have done that, but there's a lot of focus on the plot and the themes they're with. There's also a lot of breadcrumbs early on. One of my favorite breadcrumbs, and I didn't comment on this on stream, Way at the beginning, there's this bit where there are uh, Team Plasma who are trying to capture a Musharna or whatever. And they can use the Dream Mist to produce illusions and to trick other people. Now, they don't say it at the time, but this is part of Getsy's plan. He wants to get this mist in order to use it to convince and illusion people in order to continue to maintain control in addition to what he's doing with the hero. It's It's the backup plan, effectively. Now... That's part of the foreshadowing. But the other part of the foreshadowing is the two plasma grunts see an illusion of Getsy's. And they freak out because they say, well, this isn't the one who tries to convince people with words. This is the one who doles out punishment. Um, and th there's actually another line there, too. I forget what it is. Forgive me. But it gives that in inclination very early on that there's more going on than it seems. Now, granted, this is not exactly a subtle game. The moment you see Getsy's, you're like, okay, yeah, that's the villain. He's not exactly Lysanderoth, but you kind of get the same vibe. It's like, oh, yes. Dung, 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 dung. Yeah, you should let go of your Pokemon. And now we will walk away in regimental military formation to my equally driven, my cult members. Let's just call them what they are, because Team Plasma is a straight-up cult. Never mind what Getsy's is wearing. Have you seen his outfit? I'm, I'm sorry, I'm never going to stop making fun of him. He looks so dumb. But he's also evil. Actually evil. He's probably the most evil character in all of Pokemon. Just the games. Anime is, of course, a separate continuity, and the manga is a separate continuity. But Getsy's, <laughs> amongst the games, I think is the most evil character we've ever seen. Let's let's run through this really quick. This man 
has been working on a plan to control and conquer the world for decades because he is sufficiently narcissistic that he believes he is perfect and therefore he is the one who should be in charge of everything, who should create a world that is according to what he thinks it is. Now, I want you to remember that point. It's going to come up in a minute. He uh, he adheres to this ideology <laughs> almost absolutely. And so he spends the time and effort either manipulating his own child or taking another child and raising it as his own. We, uh, To my knowledge, we don't know which Anne is, and frankly, it doesn't matter. Because either way, he takes a, a, a newborn young child and has them raised under very specific circumstances where they only ever interact with Pokemon that his own minions have damaged or beaten or bruised, bruised to reinforce the idea that Pokemon are, are damaged by people ensures that the people raising and keep him incredibly cloistered, and, this is my personal favorite, constantly surrounds him with all sorts of childish things, like toys or sim simple, you know, childlike things, to ensure that his emotional development never develops. Oh, and this is all being done while limiting his contact with other people to the point of almost non-existence. In short, enforcing an echo chamber. Now... Echo chamber is used a lot as an insult on the internet, but allow me to be clear. A true echo chamber, a real echo chamber, is a horrible thing. Because all it is, is one person, or however many, the number doesn't matter, one group of people, in this case one, N, in one little room, and no new ideas are being produced. I talk about this concept a lot in fiction uh, and in real life. Uh, IDIC, right? And it's something I legitimately believe in, but at, at its base level... You produce a thought, which you talk out, and then I take in that thought. And I can process it however. I can agree, disagree, partially agree, partially disagree. There's a whole gradient of how I can respond to that. But that can provoke a new thought in me, which I can say out loud, which can provoke a new thought in you and say out loud and so forth and so on. You know, this is this is the base core idea of children learn more on the playground than they do in the schoolyards. It's because of simply interacting with other people helps us to grow and become more, Right? Imagine all of that gone, and you're just, in, you're being raised up to teenage years in an enforced echo chamber, in an enforced box, where you never can learn or see your thing. This is why the cult thing really comes up, by the way. This is, this is nuts. And this is actually evil. By the way, now, you can infer from this if you want, but if you pay attention to Getsy's team, the actual Pokemon he uses when you fight him as the final boss... His team is almost custom-crafted to defeat N's team, presuming N was going to get Reshiram, or Necrom, whichever version you're playing. And while we're on the subject, it is implied, based on his monologue speech, that N was always going to be temporarily the hero. And you can infer from that whatever you'd like. We also know, small spoilers, from the second game, Black and White 2, that Getsis is willing to kill, which may sound like a small thing, but when it comes to a world like Pokemon, where the villains are, you know, not, someone who is actively willing to commit murder is, is pretty high up on the horrible evil scale. There's only one flaw in Getsis. I was actually asked this on stream and I forgot to answer this. I forgot. The only flaw is there's, he has this one scene on a bridge where he just insists on speechifying to the main character for no reason. And there's no need for that scene to be there. It, it doesn't add anything to him or his character. It's just, hey, by the way, did you know that I'm evil? And that's that's the extent of that scene. But I mentioned remember that one thing. Because the thing that this episode... Excuse me. <laughs> well, I, I just finished my floodgate cycle. I'm kind of in the episodic mindset. The one thing that this game really likes to hammer on is its themes. Now, there's actually several themes. Um, 
The biggest ones are nuanced, just nuance, let's just say it that way, nuance, truth, and ideals, and the general yin and yang concept. Um, now, actually, I'm going to add, I'm going to eject the yin and yang concept. I'm going to replace that with something else a little bit more relevant, I think. Perspectives and opinions. Now, they hammer this one in the most, and it's the most obvious of the themes. Several times, several characters talk about how, well, I think this and this, and this is my opinion and my perspective, but it doesn't necessarily make it right. And other times people are like, I say this, and therefore it has to be right, and, you know, we, we must fight in order to prove which one of us is right, so forth and so on, right? You know, who is right, who is correct when it comes to different people's opinions, perspectives, and thoughts? This is why I said to mention the thing with Getsy's, because it is his mindset that the only one whose opinion is worth listening to is his own. Now, if you're paying attention, this is, this is bloody subtle in its own way. Not only is that connected to that main theme of everyone thinking things should be done differently, but also directly showcases his mentality with regards to N. Because N was enforced into a situation where all N would interact with is whatever Getsy's allowed. But that's kind of what Getsy's did to himself, too. Uh, less horribly, but at the same time, he never took in external input. He didn't care about the other sages. He didn't listen to the rest of Plasma. And when people like Alder or Charon or Bianca or us would talk to him, you know what I mean, he would just kind of shrug it off. He would bounce all those ideas off and he wouldn't take them in to process new thoughts. He enforced this in this echo chamber within himself because in his mind, the only viewpoint that was worth listening to was his own. And thus it makes sense that he would enforce this same mentality onto N, except in that case, it's his viewpoint is the only one that matters that he is forcing on N so that he can then use N to force Getsy's viewpoint on the rest of the world. And given the fact that he had the three orbs from Sinnoh, you know, that the, that the three ninjas give to you towards the end of the post game, that probably implies a lot about where he was going long term with these plans as well. Anyways, so that theme is all over the place, obviously, and it's one of the most obvious themes. The other themes, though, Nuance is probably one of my favorite themes in this game overall, really. Because despite the fact that this is Pokemon black and white, the whole point of this game is something that I also very much legitimately believe in, that with rare exceptions, things aren't black and white. And I know this sounds like a duh, but it's astonishing how relevant this is, even in the modern day, even just with our like geek culture. How many times have you encountered something where there's something you like or dislike, and you have voiced that opinion and been shut down as a consequence of doing so? Because if you like something, then you're wrong. Or if you dislike something, then you're wrong. Period. Black. White. I'm not even going to talk about things like politics or, or international trade or anything like that. No, let's not, let's, let's leave all that crap out the window, even just within the regards of geek culture and kingdom. We still have this black and white problem. And thus, I love the idea that this nuance is the overall core point of the game, that this is what the game is trying to get across. And this is what the game wants to be seen as its primary, what I consider to be its primary theme and message that you need to be able to take, and you notice how this is directly tied into the, to the perspectives theme, by the way. You need to be able to take different perspectives and come up with something new. Two people, four people, 80 people, a thousand people, all combining ideas into new ideas that are far more nuanced and far more multifaceted than simply A or B. 
Now, <laughs> I do also like, and this might be read, me reading just a little bit too much of it, I'll admit this, but I do also like how it does make a point of showcasing that not every perspective is worth listening to. Because it isn't. You know, it, 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 the absolute everyone is just as bad as absolute no one, to put it into simple terms. If one person decides everything that's bad, and if every people decide everything equally, that is also bad. There are some people's perspectives that simply are not worth listening to. And I'm not going to, again, I'm going to leave real life uh, perspectives out of this because the game itself gives us a perfect example. Getsies. Getsies was a man who was not, who was evil, as I've already established my point on this. And his perspective shouldn't be listened to. It should be excluded because he is so demonstrably poisonous to the very concept of this conglomerate of ideas, and he is, to put it as bluntly as I possibly can, sufficiently wrong as to warrant his exclusion. Right? There's there's a necessity in knowing that there is such a thing as black, and there is such a thing as white, even with the overwhelming morass in the middle, is gray. The uh, The truth and ideals thing is probably one of the more odd themes, because it's almost entirely a character theme. For example, we have Bianca. Now, Bianca... So, hmm, how do I explain this? <laughs> the truth and ideals thing is something I could probably talk an entire video on just by itself. Sorry, my neck really is killing me right now. But the general idea, the way I like to think of it, ideals is your beginning point. Whereas knowledge is more like your end point. Both lead to the same point, change. Now change is, is its own thing. It can be good, it can be bad. It can be lead, it can lead to progress and it can lead to disaster. But it's change. But the reason I say they're at the different points is because ideals begins the whole process. You have an ideal, therefore you go out and do. Whereas knowledge is something that is brought into you, even if you are actively seeking it, and that then infers the change itself, beginning and ending, like this, right? And so, both of these eventually lead to the same overall result, and of course, having both ideals to start and knowledge to, to understand, leading to change, once again, would probably be the better example, rather than leaning entirely on knowledge, or entirely on ideals. I mentioned Bianca and Charon. I love Bianca, can I just say? She's actually one of my favorite Pokemon characters, no joke. She's up there with Cynthia. But, um, Bianca and Marnie, she's another good one. Bianca is adorable and sweet and awesome, but the catch is she is, how do I, I, I want to say this very particularly. Bianca has to come to grips with who she is. She had what she believed to be an ideal and had to change through the knowledge of what was happening over the course of the adventure, that she's not this great trainer, and that she's not this hardcore person who's going to become the champion or anything like that. Which is funny, because she's actually pretty challenging and has plenty of a good team on her own right, but let's ignore that. In the narrative, the point is that she is, according to herself, not a great trainer. Doesn't mean she's a bad person, it just means she has to identify and figure out who and what she is. Now, I point this out because she starts off thinking, I'm going to be a great trainer, the ideal of it, and then she, the knowledge kind of prevents that, and so she has to find out who she is and find out who she wants to be. This is something that's actually carried forward in Black and White too. By contrast, even though Charon, what Charon is doing is almost the same thing, Charon starts out with the ideal of 
I will seek out this great power. And yet as he succeeds, he finds it to be relatively hollow. And over time, he starts to process and realize that he doesn't actually know why he has that ideal. Thus, so this is why they are very similar to each other, but in slightly different ways, because Bianca is positive truth, knowledge being added to her, whereas Charon is negative truth, knowledge being removed from him. Let me explain what I mean by that. Knowledge, negative truth is uh, something being proven wrong, whereas positive truth is something being added to your knowledge base, okay? So in her case, she became aware of new things, and that changed her perspective. In Charon's case, things that he thought were true were removed from the equation, and now he's not sure what to do about that. And thus, the only thing he's ever really worked for is something that he doesn't actually think he wants to do anymore, and he's just not sure how to deal with that. A concept I talk about a lot, if you saw my recent Fight Club rumination like that came up there, is the idea of a core. Most people, in my opinion, in real life, have something that is their core. It can change over time, and it can be all sorts of things. Your core is what makes it worthwhile. Your core is what really, actually, no really, matters to you. Whether it's a hobby, or it's your career, or it's your children, or it's an ideal, or it's an organization, or it's a belief, or whatever, right? That's your core. That's what makes you keep bothering with all the crap and keep dealing with everything as it comes. Charon thought his core was being a great trainer. Bianca thought her core was being a great trainer. And in both cases, they are proven wrong. But in, like I said, in different directions. And thus we see this yin and yang thing being presented in the interesting perspective of both truth and ideals. <sighs> And the fact that I've talked this long about the story and narrative of a Pokemon game probably gets away part of why I like it so much. This is a very well-designed game that also has a lot of stuff to really chew on and interesting foreshadowing and character developments and excellent theme usage and is just awesome. I'm going to look at my notes here really quick to see if there's anything I missed. Um, the gyms, I, I know they really started expanding with the gyms, uh, I, I would say in Gen 4. Is, you know, Platinum is when they really started doing that. But a lot of the gyms are just fun little excursions. They're not difficult. They're just fun little things to do. I love the gym bosses. I absolutely adore the Final Four fight. Some of my favorite conflict and boss design of the game. They started adding quality of life features in this one. TMs having infinite use, uh, the save curse of the shortcut, the touchpad, um, the, the menuing usage, the shops upgrading. This is actually a really cool minor thing. There's only one shop in every town, and it's the same shop, but as you progress through store, as you get certain key items, the badge, uh, the gym badges in this case, every shop in the game is upgraded. Now that seems like a minor thing, but what it does is it prevents a situation where, oh, I need to get such and such, I'm going to fly down here, then i got to fly out of here to buy this, and I'm going to fly over here to buy this. It prevents that problem. Instead, you just go to your personal preference of shop and buy whatever there. In some other types of games, like Metroidvanias or open-world games, this actually allows you to route more. And when you're doing something like a Nuzlocke challenge run or a speed run, routing also comes up as well. So that's cool, too. Anyways. the only You're probably wondering, what are the negative things? You've been praising the hell out of this game. The, the, this game has a bit of a level and an X problem. I don't want to say it's a grind problem, because it's not quite that. It's not your typical grind problem. The real problem in this one is there's a finite experience pool with no real way to replenish it other than going and fighting wild Pokemon, which are worth just nothing in comparison. And the game expects you to be a much higher level than most of the other Pokemon games. Now, this adds to the challenge, of course, and that's fine right up until you hit the post-game. And the post-game just suddenly has 15 levels on the last boss. And uh, 
And that's not a joke, by the way. The first encounter, the first random dude I fought at a level 62 Krogonk. Yeah. Um, that's, that's a bit of a problem, especially since though that Krogunk is part of that exp pool that you're supposed to use to, to catch up on, right? And this is, this is compounded by a few other factors, like the fact that so many Pokemon in this game have such ridiculously high level, uh, final, final forms. Like, uh, I forget the specifics. We looked it up. It's a uh, Hydragon, I think, was the highest at like 62 or something like that. But there's lots of Pokemon who don't evolve until in the late 40s or in the 50s. <laughs> so these things kind of dragged it down and, and the usual Pokemon stuff. But overall, a very interesting game. I do hope you have enjoyed my thoughts and I will see you next time.